But every other year we have graduates, but Govinda is the one from our church this year. We, we have 11 other local churches doing the same thing that, that we are, are doing, and you've probably paid attention to the slides. This is where they are, they are located. Uh, Timberlake type of churches committed to the same thing, uh, training in the, the, the local church. And so, like, uh, like Michael Lowry, like Matt St. Clair, like Clay Mackey, like Tim Moshera, others, Govinda is one of our own, so it's special for, for our church. We've been doing this for a little over ten years at, at Timberlake, and we've had four other graduations. Uh, nine men have actually graduated from our specific campus. Uh, I can add, even though you only see uh, seven up there, Corey Thompson is not pictured, and then Govinda obviously would be added to, uh, to, these, uh, to these, uh, this company of men. They're all in active, active ministry. Josh Bell is, is pastoring in, in Florida. Michael is an unpaid pastoral assistant here, running our our international students' ministries preparing as as uh, uh, as his dear wife is um, uh, was getting her citizenship, ultimately going to China. Uh, as you know, Clay is our college uh, pastor. After he took over, when we brought Nathan Williams in, trained him and launched him out. Christian Melamans was just here. He is in the southern part of China uh, doing a church. Uh, planting. Ryan Minnie is a uh, is a pastor over at Redeeming Grace in town. Tim Moshera, as you know, is is training in Malawi with Emmy Matt St. Clair. Uh, took over for Adam Reed here in our children's ministry, and Corey Thompson is uh, getting some further training for uh, church ad- administration, specifically in counseling. And Govinda was in ministry before he came here, still is in ministry, and has served in ministry the whole time with Allow the Children and Potten Church. Uh, we also have seven students currently right now, and there are three new ones that, uh, that are coming. Um, and you know uh, all of these guys. The three blank spaces are down there. We didn't put their names up because um, they have not completed the process yet, but there are three others that we will add, giving us 10 that are still in training. If you add those together, that's 20 individuals that we are, we've either trained or are currently training as a church for the, for the gospel ministry. That's not to mention all of the other missions, things that go on here at Timberlake, whether it's Jana with Allow the Children or Tina with Bridging the World or Woody and Chris, or Mike and Sue, and all of the different things that we're doing. And it also doesn't count the 22 others men that have went through our pastoral uh, ministry internship and have started training somewhere else. If you have been around Timberlake for any period of time, you know that we're passionate about three things. The God, a high view of God, the sufficiency, supremacy of, of the Scriptures, and then training and launching people for, for ministry. Govinda, though, is special because they are an integral part of, of Allow the Children and have been for many years. Actually, Govinda and his family came to us through Allow the, the Children from Pot and Koinonia Church in Kathmandu, 
where Govinda was on staff. They moved here for Allow the children, and then Govinda enrolled in, in TES. So part of what we're going to be doing today is celebrating what the Lord has done in our midst through raising up laborers for gospel ministry. Part of it will be charging Govinda as he, as he continues in ministry beyond today, and part of it will be reminding us why we focus on training and preparing others for, for ministry. I know I'm preaching to the choir whenever I say this, but the New Testament is amazing. And the Lord's plan for building His church is crystal clear. Uh, when I came to Christ, I had a great desire to, to serve the Lord, uh, a hunger for the Bible, and, and a desire to share that with others. But no one really ever connected the dots for me. I never saw the the panorama or the big picture from Genesis to Revelation and how it all played to, together. I also never was was taught in the beginning ecclesiology, as, as theologians call it, which is how does the church function? How does it struct? How's it structured? How important is it? And and so when I, when I began to see these things in the, in the Bible, not anything new to me, just, just rediscovering what had, what had been inscripturated long ago, it was, it was like a light bulb moment. And God's plan for the church is, it, it was part of that. Jesus made a declaration that you all know in Matthew 16 when he said, I will build my church. It's a promise. It's a declaration that he made. Christ is still building his church. Today, I don't build it, Govinda doesn't build it, you don't build it, Jesus Christ does, ultimately. And another passage that you know well, it's where we come into the process. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission, as it's called, where Jesus revealed for the disciples how they would be part of that work that he was doing of building the church. He commands them to go, to gather, and to grow. He commanded them to go, go and make disciples in all the world, go into all the world and make disciples. He commanded them to gather those disciples together, to baptize them in local assemblies, and then to grow them, teach them whatsoever things I have commanded you. And they did that very thing, and others followed them. It's the end of the, the gospel. We just came to the end of the gospel of Mark. That's at the very end of the, of the gospel of Matthew. And then what, what takes place after the closing of the Gospels is, is the book of Acts. The book of Acts is like part two. It, it shows us exactly how, how that took place, how they went and made disciples, how they baptized them, gathered them together, and how they began to teach them. The Spirit comes and empowers the disciples of Pentecost, and people are added to the church daily, and then they meet together to grow so they can win more. It's an amazing thing to, to behold. The apostles and the prophets were boldly declaring after being empowered by the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was both Lord and Christ, and God was building His church daily through that, through that process. And the book of Acts ends with that process still underway. And the rest of the New Testament gives instructions about how the Lord's church will continue to grow until He returns. The Gospels and Acts are like the stories. This is what happened. The, the letters, the epistles as we call them, they're the instructions, they're the prescriptions. Okay, this is, this is what you're to do. 
This is what happened. Now, church, as you take over from the end of the book of Acts, this is what you're to do. This is what you're to believe. This is how you are to, to structure yourselves. This is how you are to function. In one of the clearest places that you can find instruction about the church is, is in the book of Ephesians, particularly Ephesians chapter 4, where, where Jesus describes this structure that he has set up to, to facilitate growth. Ephesians chapter 4 talks about how Christ says he will continue to build his church and how his church will, will grow. Each, uh, each one of us, a measure, uh, or I'm sorry, each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ gives gifts to his church, and then he describes those gifts. You know the passage well. Some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors and teachers for the work of ministry, for the church to be built up. That's the body of Christ. Jesus promised not only to build His church, but now He's given gifts to equip it in order for it to grow. It's very clear. And those gifts are described as specific servants to perform ministry tasks. Apostles and prophets and missionary evangelists and pastors and teachers. The apostles and the prophets lay the foundation. Ephesians 2.20 tells us that. They lay the foundation for the beginning of the church. You can see that. That's what's happening in the book of Acts. Apostles and prophets are laying the foundation. They're preaching. God is saving people. Structures being added. Yeah, there's elders. There's deacons. There's missionaries going out. But the foundation is being laid. And then missionary evangelists and pastors and teachers take over and build on that foundation. That's what's happening now. There are no apostles and prophets today, even though Apostle Bishop Reverend Farrell Potentate sounds pretty good, doesn't it? There are no apostles and prophets today. I've not seen the risen Christ. You have not seen the risen Christ visibly. No one else has. There are no prophets receiving divine revelation today because the Bible is, is complete. It's sufficient. But they laid the foundation of the church. And, and so what is happening now? That foundation is being built on. We're sending out missionary evangelists out. And we have pastors and teachers within that are equipping. And the goal is that the saints, that's you, would be equipped for the work of the ministry to continue that process, and we do that until, until Jesus comes. Those are the gifts that Christ has given to His body to function. They're tools that He uses to accomplish this process, and it's a, it's a beautiful design. It's wonderful. But it begs a question that puts into perspective what we're doing here today. If Christ has promised to build His church, which He has, and if he grows it through this process, where do these missionary evangelists and pastors and teachers come from? I mean, think about it. Jesus himself called and equipped the first disciples. And now he is given the command to go and to gather and to grow and to make disciples and to mature them. So where do the church leaders of today come from? Who identifies them, who prepares them, who trains them, who sends them? Well, that's the answer that we're going to find in 2 Timothy 
chapter 1, and it's abundantly clear in Scripture. It's the church and it's, its leaders. That's who identifies, that's who equips, that's who sins, that's who, who oversees. So if you're not there, open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to focus on verse 13 through verse 2. These verses outline the Apostle Paul's instruction to Timothy, who was an elder of a local church, and it provides the pattern for all churches to follow, including our own. Now, churches are unique. You are not here by mistake. 1 Corinthians 12 says that the spiritual gifts that you have been given, God has sovereignly bestowed upon you and brought you to this local church so that your gifts can be used to to build one another up. And you are equipped, you're being equipped even right now so that you can do that and you function together. And as you exercise those gifts, as you're equipped and you exercise those gifts, the church is strengthened and, and built up. And in the midst of this church, just like other churches whether they're 500 or 50, God is going to gift some to be missionary evangelists, pastors, or teachers. And the individuals that identify them and equip them and send them are the current leaders of the congregation. And the congregation themselves affirm that and are part of that that process. Paul tells Timothy in these passages that training and preparing those future workers that God will use to build His church is our responsibility. Its current leaders lead the process. We lament uh, over the condition of the church. The church is not doing enough to do whatever. Combat homosexuality or win people to Christ or uh, elect godly leaders. We had July 4th this past week. Whatever it is. But who will lead the church? 20 years from now, who will be its missionaries? Who will be the writers of theology books that future students and church members will be reading? Well, the answer to that question depends on whether our church answers the call and continues to answer the call to train faithful servants for ministry. And we're already obeying that task, but I want to take the opportunity this morning to challenge you to excel even more, as Paul told the the Philippians. And so here is the outline There are three reasons any church, but I'll make it specific to us, our church must train people for for ministry. It's because there's a specific content, God says, to maintain. Verses 13 and 14. He also tells us there are some spurious counterfeits to avoid. And then finally, he ends with this strong command that he gives us to obey. And that's found in chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. Let me show you this specific content to maintain. Look, if you would, at verse 13 of chapter 1. This is Paul writing to Timothy, the leader of a local church in Ephesus. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard, through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul says, retain the standard of sound words. He says there's specific content 
to maintain. That's why you train. Literally, hold the outline of healthy teaching. Hold or retain is a, is a command. It's not a suggestion. You do this, Timothy. And what Timothy was to retain or hold fast to was an outline or a pattern or a model. <clears throat> the word comes from tupos, which, which you, we get the word prototype. You can hear the word type in it. The Passover lamb was a tupos for, for the Lamb of God, a representation of the one who would come, the Lord Jesus himself. Paul says to Timothy, it's not about something new that you will add, or you being innovative, or whatever it might be. It's, it's like a dot-to-dot, which, which has already been drawn for Timothy, which had been drawn for Paul, which was drawn by God himself. He's the one that gives the outline of, of, this, of this truth that's passed on, which is taught. What is taught is as important as the task of teaching. We are very passionate about activity, and activity is good. We need to go. We are not called to stay. We're not called to be static. We're called to mature and to grow and to, and to send people. If you are the same spiritually today, if you can see no transformation in your life today, if you flash back ten years ago, you have a problem. That's, that's not what God wants you to do. He wants you to be growing in that, in that process. What is taught is as important as the task of teaching. Because future leaders are being shaped and their thinking is being ingrained and they'll teach others what the Bible says. And we know this truth. We don't want to add or take away from God's Word, but you have to know it to pass it on. It's not just the activity of teaching. It's what you teach. It's not just the, the activity of going. It's, it's what you're carrying when you go. We don't just send people to the mission field. We send carriers of truth. It's not about the person. It's not about me. I, am, I have absolutely no authority whatsoever this morning. The only authority I have is what God has said, and, and that's what is being passed on to you this morning. That's why we're so committed to just exposition. What, what did God say? You have to know it to pass it on. R.L. Dabney said the state of the pulpit may always be taken as an index of, uh, of that of the church. Whenever the pulpit is sound, the piety of the people is in some degree healthy. A perversion of the pulpit is surely followed by spiritual apostasy in the church. And that's true. As goes the preacher, so goes the pulpit. As goes the pulpit, so goes the people, which is why their qualifications given to preach and teach. We're to hold fast the standard already given of healthy teaching, sound teaching. Look at verse 13 again. He says, retain, hold, that's the command. And what is he to hold? The standard, there's the outline, of sound words, of, of healthy, in quality. That's what that word means. And it's what he heard from, from Paul, which you've heard from me. And Paul ultimately says he gets that from the Lord Jesus himself, in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So Christ is the source to Paul, to Timothy, and it's outlined for him, but it's sound. The prototype of truth is what Paul handed to Timothy and what 
that's what Timothy was to pass on. Unadulterated. Not added to or taken away from. And that's done by the by Timothy, a current leader in the church, to train the next generation of leaders. And that's rare today. It's not common. MacArthur said, sadly, much of the professing church and church leaders today are without any significant convictions. You say, is that true? He doesn't mean significant preferences, convictions about preferences. There are plenty of those. There really are. Preferences against traditionalism. I don't want to sing stuffy hymns. I don't want to wear a suit. I don't want to wear a tie. Or the opposite. You must do all those things in order to be godly. He's not talking about... Preferences. He means doctrinal convictions. Things that are rooted in Scripture that are understood. I would say if, this is anecdotal, I may be wrong, but just experientially, I'd say this is probably accurate. I would say if you randomly polled an attender in an evangelical church in America, there are 400 and some in Lynchburg, 150 Baptists, if you just randomly polled pulled an attender out of, out of one of those evangelical churches in America and, and, and asked them if there was any difference between a Baptist and Catholic as long as they love Jesus, you might be surprised at the answer that you get. What's worse, you might even get some church leaders that would say that, that there is no difference as long as they love Jesus. And sadly, it seems the only conviction in a lot of places, is, is if it works, regardless of its right. Um, a lot of people are more concerned about getting folks to go along with them than where they're going and what they're, they're giving them. And, and I want you to understand, they learned that somewhere. They didn't just come up with that on their own. They learned that somebody taught them that the end justifies the means. Somebody taught them, change the, the method, not the message. Somebody taught them that it doesn't matter as long as one soul comes to Christ. Somebody has presented that mantra to them, and then they have, they have, they've seen it modeled and carried it out. Someone taught them the pragmatism, and when that pattern of sound words is lost, it's lost to the next generation. I remember getting a very clear illustration of that. You could probably think of a number of illustrations of churches that you knew that it went this path. I can remember six, seven years ago, I remember the time because it's when Bella was born, Tracy called me in, uh, in the Atlanta airport and told me that Bella was on the way, and that was quite a shock. And then I went to Geneva and preached uh, for John Glass, who's preached here before. He's the pastor of an evangelical church there. It was their third, um, the third anniversary of their church plant. It's one of the few evangelical works in Geneva. One of the few. Not the only one. One of the few. But I want you to let that sink in. In Geneva. Geneva is the Williamsburg of the Reformation, regardless of whether you like John Calvin or not. It's where preachers went to be trained and, and were sent all over the world. It's where the Geneva Bible came from that our forefathers brought over on the Mayflower, that helped shape our nation that we celebrated this past week. And all that's left there is a memorial wall. 
Many don't even have a clue what the Reformation was, much less the gospel. And, and you could talk to Jeff and Jane, who were in the same situation in France. You could talk to many other places. How did that happen? Well, I'll tell you, part of it was churches failing to do what we're seeing in Second Timothy this morning. They failed to hold fast the pattern of sound words. And God says truth matters for life and in ministry, but he also gives a second one here. There are spurious counterfeits to to avoid. Look, if you would, at verse 14. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Paul says we guard what we guard like a treasure. Now, you... You guard something that can be stolen or something that's precious or something that can be that can be harmed. I have stuff in the back of my truck this morning. And I have stuff in the front of my truck this morning. The stuff in the front is locked up. The stuff in the back is not because the stuff in the front is more important to me than the stuff in the back. You have the same logic, I'm sure. Paul identifies the stuff that we have is a treasure. The reason the church must stay within the lines and train is because false teaching is possible. The word guard is the same word that you hear every single Christmas in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. The shepherds were, were keeping watch, guarding their flocks by night. It's that word. Shepherds guarded their sheep like, like treasures. Paul says, guard the, the truth like it's your sheep. It's the same word used in Acts 12, 4, of a soldier guarding prisoners. You guard them because you're going to get your head lopped off if they get away. Paul says, retain the standard of sound words because the truth is like a treasure deposited into our hands. It's been entrusted to us. Again, it's why it's so vital that what we call the treasure and what we, what we hold to is only what the Scriptures say. We don't add to it, we don't take away from it, but what God has said, we guard it like a treasure. We have the greatest treasure ever deposited in the trust of mankind, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the church is the repository. It's the, the safety deposit box, if you will. It's the bank of that, of that truth. First Timothy. The first letter that Paul wrote in 3.15, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the household of God. And then he describes what that is, the church. The church of the living God, it's the pillar and the ground of, of truth. It's, the, it's built on the truth, it holds up the truth, it's the, it's the repository. The church has been entrusted with the gospel and we have to hold fast to its pattern because it can be perverted and forsaken, look at verse 15. You are aware, guard, retain, guard the treasure that's been entrusted to you. Why? Because you're aware of the fact. You're aware of something, Timothy. What are, what's Timothy aware of? You're aware of the fact that all who were in Asia turned away from me, among whom two individuals he names, Agelis and Hermogenes. We're not told much about these two men other than that they were cowards. 
What we do know is they left the apostle and they left the truth. They were ashamed of the gospel and unable to stand with Paul, which is why Paul is telling Timothy, make sure you don't do that. Truth will be your armor or it will be your anvil. When you approach the Bible, which is the truth, regardless of what people think or say, it will either be your armor, you'll put it on, and it will protect you, and God will use it to bring you to unto His appointed end, which is heaven in His presence, fully sanctified. It'll be your armor, or it'll be the anvil. It will protect you, or it's the very thing that you're going to be dashed upon, because it's, it's going to confront your, you can confront self, and it's going to confront your, your, your will, and it's going to confront your desires, and, and it's going to confront mine. And, and you're either going to submit to that, and you're going to put that on, and it's going to protect you from going down the wrong road, pursuing the wrong things, or you're going to kick against it, and it's, it's going to hammer you. The hammering of the world, which rejects the Bible, will either transform you into stronger steel, or it will mold you into its form that's not fitting for the truth that you believe. And in the church, this process takes place, this hammering, this shaping, Paul says, takes place under the careful eyes of faithful men who have already been proven and trained. And that's how you avoid that. The idea of Lone Ranger and going out there on your own is a devastating path. You're going to get devoured. It's hard enough without a body of committed believers and a group of pastors and and deacons and others that are functioning rightly. Verse 15 reminds us that we're not just sending people out, we're sending truth through them. The people are vessels, but the treasure is what they carry, and what they carry is to be guarded. So how do you do that? How do you guard it? How do you guard what was entrusted? How do you preserve it? You deliberately, intentionally and carefully pass it on to a group of people that have a particular or proven character. And now you have the the command. There's a strong command to obey. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. Paul, in verse 16 and 17 and 18, he talks about some faithful brothers. Onesiphorus um, and the services that he rendered at Ephesus. And look, if you would, what he says now in verse 1. You, therefore, my son, my son, the one that came in and that I imparted this truth to, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's only by grace. And then he gives this command. Things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Entrust these things, this body of truth, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Hold fast the pattern without altering it. Pass it on carefully because it can be perverted. And then train faithful servants because God has commanded it. 
you be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus and then commit what is retained and guarded to to others for ministry. Here's the key verse. It's the rest has been an introduction. This is a command for the church to equip people for word-based ministries. All Christians are called to be disciples. All Christians are called to be in ministry and to be ministers. But those that God call, that God calls to to equip within or to go with outside, go outside to the field or to be prepared for this task. And here's the command to do that. And here's who you're to do that with. Now, don't miss this. Timothy is a pastor of a local church. The church is in Ephesus. And he is not being told to take the men in that church that you see that are faithful. They're, they're, they don't, they're not perfect. They, they've got issues. They're not completely sanctified. They, they may not understand certain things about the doctrine of the Trinity or whatever it is, but they're pursuing Christ. They're serving. Paul is not saying when you see those people in Ephesus, Timothy, as the local church pastor there, send them to Jerusalem to be trained by the apostles and the elders there. That's not what he's saying, is it? He told the elders there at Ephesus to train them. And this is a verse typically used for discipleship, one member to another, and it surely applies that way. But this verse actually says, men who have been trained in whatever form, I'm not talking about having your little piece of paper or your initials or your degrees. Faithful people, faithful in character, with doctrinal convictions that you understand how to rightly divide the word of truth, you understand what it says. They're to take people that God's raising up, evidenced by their faithfulness, and you're to purposely commit a body of truth to them so that they may do the same in the church of God. Or to say it simply, elders train elders, pastors train pastors. That's what it says. There's a particular content, the things that you've heard from me. That which was known as apostolic doctrine in the presence of many witnesses, Paul says. Not Paul's private interpretation, specific teaching, clear doctrine, handed down once delivered to the saints. It wasn't Paul's vision or plan, but proven, tested, approved, affirmed doctrine that was widely known as orthodox truth, what Christ taught and his followers believed, and that was supported and confirmed by the testimony of of others. There is a specific group of people, those who have proven faithful, faithful in truth, faithful in life, faithful in, in character. Don't half-bake the bread. I love cornbread. I love cornbread and milk. And I can remember that something that would disappoint my mother greatly. She loves making cornbread and milk, and I love eating it even today. And she cooks it in an iron skillet in the in the the oven. And depending upon the the, the temperature and all these other things, when it comes out, sometimes she would just be devastated if there was if it was still doughy in the middle. And I wouldn't care. I'd just cut that part out and put the rest of it in the milk and eat it. But it bothered her. It was a whole lot more important to make sure that you don't half-bake ministers and missionaries and preachers and teachers whenever you send them out. You can't cut out the middle. 
Because whatever you cut out, whatever is wrong, it's going to be modeled after them. And then modeled after them and modeled after them and modeled after them. And the next thing you know, you have a big problem on your hands. And he also says it's for a a definite purpose, to pass it on. We're to replicate the approved and tested doctrine to, to others. That's what he says, so that you may be able to teach others also. We don't gain good people here and hold on to them for our own selfish purposes. We bring them in, we invest in them deeply, and then we send them out. And when you put all that together, God's plan is very clear. We share the good news of Christ. God saves. We then connect those people to that He does to the church. Within the church, they're equipped. God will call all of those in the church to grow, and some He will gift specifically to be pastors and teachers and missionaries. And they will serve, not as an elevated position, but alongside all of the other gifts. And then the church will recognize those. The current leaders will recognize those. They'll invest in them. And then they will will send them out. Or as we say, being a healthy church, making and maturing disciples, training future leaders, and then sending Great Commission workers. And here's the exciting part. You have an opportunity to participate in that, and you have. And the brother that we're honoring today is part of that part of that fruit. I'm going to pray, and as I do, I'm going to invite Govinda, Mike and Sue, to come up, and um, Jabuna as well. And we're going to present Govinda with his diploma. We also have something else for him. We're going to Give him an honor sash to begin with. I'll explain what that is. Then his diploma. Then we we have a gift for him. And then we have something for Jamuna. And then Govinda is going to take just a few minutes, two or three minutes, and share with you um, what he's going to continue to be doing with, with Allow the Children. Let me pray. Father, what a gracious privilege it is to be here this morning. What a gracious privilege to be part of this church, to have such a clear word. Thank you that we, this, this group of people here, thank you that we are not the first ones. And I pray we won't be the last. This church has been faithfully sending and training and doing things in this community and around the world for... 76 years and so. We pray that if you tarry more, more years, more people, we ask you, Father, that you would um, take this man that we honor today through his accomplishments and that he, I know, will give all glory to you. May you use him to reach Nepalese and others all around the world as he's been doing through his whole life. Now, hopefully, with some additional tools in his tool belt, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Govinda, Mike and Sue, would you come? Where are you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was. You came while we were while we were praying. All right. 
So since um, we are down here, I'm going to ask this actually, whenever you go to Nepal as a, a special guest, they, they give you one of these sashes. It's, it's uh, Govinda could tell you the, the Nepali name. I don't know it. But it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an honor. So we had one of these made for our brother, and it actually has the Expositor Seminary logo on it. And I'm going to ask Didi to put this on Brother Govinda. And then I'm going to have him come up here and we'll present his diploma to him. Yeah. Amen. And this is your diploma from the Expositor's Seminary. And it says, Diploma in Gospel Ministry Studies. Let it be known that Govinda Awale has successfully completed the required courses of this program at the Expositor's Seminary, signed by President Jerry Ragg, Academic Dean Dr. Zimick, Administrative Dean Robert Whitney, and the pastor here at Timberlake, myself. Here's your diploma, my friend. Amen. 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 And we have one more gift for you. This is the representation of an entire set of the Expositor's Bible Commentary. It is in English. They don't make it in Nepali. But you will uh, will have this, and it has been wrapped, and it is somewhere. So you'll have that along with the whole set to be able to be to be used. And um, Jamuna, there you are. Tracy, would you come? We have something for you too, and we are so thankful that you're here because you were just in surgery yesterday. Friday, okay. And so we have a a diploma for you too. The Expositor Seminary PhD pushing hubby through. <laughs> Expositor Seminary would like to present you with a PhD degree for your endless support and extraordinary service as a helpmate to your husband during these rigorous years of seminary presented this day to Jamuna Awali. Proverbs 31:10 and 11. Tracy can give you that, and we also have used some flowers, so amen. <laughs> yep. Thank you. And Govinda, uh, we'll put these down here, and why don't you just share with, uh, with the church just a few moments what you're going to be doing. Obviously, you've been continuing to do that, but just tell us a little bit. What, yeah, yeah, you can go to the pulpit. That'd be great. Yeah, this is uh, one of my special achievements in my life. And there are so many people in this journey. And it wouldn't be possible without all of them who came along with me and joined with me in prayer and encouraged me and to complete this uh, course. So it, have, it wouldn't have been possible without all of them. First of all, I would like to thank Lord uh, choosing me to pursue this course. And I would like to thank Pastor Brian, who always encouraged me. Thank you for your encouragement, for your guidance, for your prayer. And all the pastoral staff, Pastor Brody, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Stephen, 
and all the pastor staff and all the Timbalik Baptist Church family for your prayer and for your support. And also I would like to thank uh, for my all of the Chilean family, especially my bosses, Mike Uncle and Sianti, for always encouraging, encouraging me to attend this seminary. And also I would like to thank all the TES professors who invested their time for us, for me and my colleagues, and all my colleagues who always helped me when I needed in the class or outside the class too. And also I would like to thank my wife, my two daughters, and my home church back in Nepal for their continuous prayers for my seminary. As Pastor Brian mentioned that, what I'm going to be in the future, what we'll be doing. So, first of all, I would like to once again thank you and remember in your prayer for my upcoming days too. Because as you all know that there are so many people, so many pastors and leaders, they don't have this access to loan as I have. So, remember in your prayer that I'll be using those wisdoms uh, to our people uh, where there is no access. So, as you all are familiar that all of the Chilean ministries have been serving in seven different countries, and most of the countries we go and train our local pastors and leaders. So I have been praying, uh, near future I'll be going in the field, uh, just like in Nepal, and to teach our people. And apart from that, I'll be also uh, planning and working to teach through online uh, to one of the uh, partners of all of the Chilean ministry, which is also my home church, and I have been working for that. And they have a Bible training center, and they teach from seven, six in the morning to nine in the morning, so which is almost our eight, almost eight thirty in the night time. So I'm working about the schedules and time frame for that. So this is my prayers. So please join me in your prayer for my up- upcoming ministry too. If you didn't get the last part of that, it's one of the exciting things. I think Lau's been training in Nepal for some time. Gavina's going to be obeying this very passage. He's going to continue. He's going to do, he's going to take the same system that we use at Expositors through Zoom and actually teach from here. He's going to go to Nepal and teach, but he's also going to be teaching from here uh, individuals back back there, and they're going to use the Zoom system to to do that. If you want to support, help support, we've been supporting Govinda and his family for for years. If you want to do that or excel even more, you can talk to Mike and Sue afterwards. I'm sure they can uh, show you how you can uh, you can support this brother.